Welcome, everyone. You're listening to This Is Hockey Culture, an SB Nation podcast where we break down the most pressing news circulating the NHL by examining the intersections of politics, identity, sports, and culture in order to define what makes hockey, hockey. I'm Kat Petray. And I'm Sam Siciliano. And this is Hockey Culture. We're going to be talking about the type of foundation the game was built on and the lack of fluidity in the way the game has grown. The Indigenous and First Nations communities have left an indelible mark on the sport of hockey. After all, the modern day version of the sport we all know and love is rooted in Indigenous culture. I feel like a lot of times we romanticize Canada as the birthplace of hockey, so much so that the IIHF granted Montreal the title in 2008. There's an intense and dynamic relationship between hockey and Canadians' national identity. But the sport has so many contributors, including those before the creation of organized hockey. I feel like the groundwork for modern day hockey lays on the foundation of Indigenous people. And that's a conversation that should have more of a platform. This is Hockey Culture is about defining what makes hockey, hockey. And as we begin to unravel what hockey culture is, I want to tell you the story of one of the most influential people in hockey. Fred Sasakamus. In the fall of 1953, at only 19 years old, Sasakamus made his debut for the Chicago Blackhawks as one of the first indigenous players in the league. Fred Sasakamus was born in 1933, and his home was ostensibly a Takaku Cree nation in Saskatchewan, Canada, although he spent 10 years of his childhood in Duck Lake at St. Michael's. Hockey was as much a passion as it was an escape for him and many other young indigenous children who, like Sasakamus, were forced to assimilate and lose their languages and heritage at Canada's residential schools. While he only played 11 games for the Blackhawks, Sasakamus had a flourishing minor league career until 1960, when he returned home to Saskatchewan. There, he developed programs to create an access point for equipment, training, and other resources for his community. In 1962, he helped create the Northern Indian Hockey League, the Fred Sasakamu's All-Star Hockey League, a diversity-focused hockey camp, and a National Indigenous Men's Hockey League, the Fred Sasakamu's Chief Thunderstick National Hockey Championship. Sasakamu's has been named as a member to the Order of Canada, Canada's highest civilian honor, for his relentless advocacy and action for Indigenous players in the sport. Sasakamus has left an incredible impact upon his community and the nation at large, and left a lasting legacy within hockey itself. Hockey was born in Canada, but not only by the Europeans who migrated to North America. In any sport, it's important to recognize different contributions to the game, especially because as hockey became commercialized throughout North America, it progressively became more marginalized. The same groups of people who created the sport completely left out of the conversation. Like I said earlier, the relationship between Canada's national identity and hockey is a dynamic one. Canada so proudly identifies as the birthplace of hockey, but fails to recognize Indigenous people who helped to develop the game in tandem. So much of Indigenous history is passed down through oral tradition, which is a big component. Hockey is a big deal in Indigenous communities across Canada at all levels. Pickup hockey, rec league hockey, pond hockey, they're all examples, but big organized events like the National Aboriginal Hockey Championships exist too. In fact, it was Reggie Leach, who was OG way and spent 13 seasons in the NHL and won a cup with the Flyers in 1975, who said, quote, I think we as First Nations people are probably some of the biggest supporters of hockey across Canada. 
Sasakamus is widely regarded to be one of the first indigenous hockey players in the NHL, if not the first in some circles, and he is the first treaty indigenous player, but there are a few other indigenous hockey players before his time, and even before the NHL's time in some cases, that history forgets about. In 1901 and 1902, the Winnipeg Victorias won the Stanley Cup with three Métis players, Tony Gingras and brothers Rod and Magnus Flett. Paul Jacobs, who was Mohawk, was on the roster for the 1918-19 season for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Taffy Abel, who was Chippewa, was a member of the 1924 Olympic team and one of the first Americans to succeed in the NHL. In the 1930-31 season, Henry Miracle, who's Mohawk, played 15 games for the New York Rangers before having a flourishing minor league career for years. And in 1944, the Rangers called Jim Jameson, who was Cayuga from Six Nations First Nation in Ontario for one game. But perhaps the most important impact Indigenous people have had on the sport of hockey is in its creation as a sport at all. Without them, hockey wouldn't exist the way we know it. And I've been teasing that, and Sam has been teasing that this whole episode, but now let's get into actual hockey history. So let's work backwards a little bit. Hockey's origin actually begins in tandem with lacrosse, which was developed in the mid-1800s by George Beers, who saw it as a uniquely Canadian activity, distinct from British sports like cricket. But lacrosse actually has its roots in Bagotaway, a First Nations game, and the approach of Bagotaway into what would eventually be lacrosse was part of the first real cultural exchanges between early French settlers and First Nations people. Eventually, people forgot that lacrosse was an extrapolation of a First Nations physical cultural tradition. And when it became a codified sport in the mid-1800s, it was primarily for Anglophone, middle and upper class men. Typical, right? Very. <laughs> Well, hockey, which was codified around the same time and within the same communities of people, was accessible to a much larger demographic of individuals, including the working class and or indigenous peoples, people who were traditionally unable to play lacrosse because of social class. Hockey itself most likely developed within the First Nations, potentially from a Mi'kmaq game called Dwarkin, which was played on ice and with sticks. The provenance of hockey is kind of hard to pin down, but other influences include the Irish game of Hurley. And Mi'kmaq woodcarvers are thought to have created the earliest precursor to the modern hockey stick, which is pretty cool. But anyway, because hockey was more socially accessible for a larger group of people, it wasn't long before hockey, not lacrosse, became the national sport of Canada. While still discriminated against and facing significant barriers, Indigenous players were not only common in the sport, there were whole teams entirely of Indigenous players in the first half of the 20th century. So like I said earlier, it was a little bit difficult doing research because there really aren't that many papers or articles published on Indigenous hockey traditions and the history of it all. But I was able to find this Mi'kmaq First Nations quote about advocating for two-eyed seeing. So when looking at the development of hockey in the game, I think it's really important for the culture as a whole to maybe have this perspective. Two-eyed seeing is learning to see from one eye with the strengths of indigenous knowledges and ways of knowing, and from the other eye with the strengths of Western knowledges and ways of knowing, and learning to use both these eyes together for the benefit of all. I love that quote. And I think what's been so interesting in kind of going through and researching for this conversation is the fact that for some reason, we're so obsessed in hockey culture with pinning down an exact date and time and place of hockey's development. 
which A, doesn't really exist because it was born out of cultural exchanges over like hundreds of years, Mm -hmm. also because it ignores a significant community and history that's not often recognized. This is a show about defining what hockey culture is. And sometimes when trying to answer that question, we have to ask ourselves what narratives are being left out of the conversation and which stories get told or which stories don't. Because of that, we have to face the aspects of hockey history that are uncomfortable or upsetting to sit with, like recognizing that hockey and other sports were used as tools at residential schools to facilitate assimilation, and that a lot of hockey history has been whitewashed or are products of colonialization and appropriation. But in recognizing that history, it gives us the opportunity to celebrate the true diversity of experiences and identities and cultures that make up our hockey culture and community. So I really do believe that knowledge is power and we owe it to the sport and the players who came before us to respect the rich history of the game. If you're interested in learning more about hockey and indigenous people's contribution to the sport, Kat and I will be linking resources in the description box of this episode, which I strongly encourage everyone to tap into. If you want to get in touch with us, all contact information will be listed in the description box of the episode. You can shoot us an email, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and find us on Fear the Fin at SB Nation. 